Today on episode 10 of the eWork podcast, Alex Groats on customer discovery. Hello and welcome to this episode of the eWork podcast. I am Leon Bora and this is the space where founders get to share their story of how they got an idea and turned it into a profitable business. Today's guest is Alex Groats. Alex is one of Europe's most creative minds. He used to be a partner at design thinking consultancy firm IDEO. He managed and grew his own innovation and strategy-focused agency. In addition, he founded a few ventures. One of them is ProGlove, a global leader in smart gloves. Alex is also a co-founder and chief creative officer here at eWar. Alex is joining us today to talk about best practices and common pitfalls in customer discovery. Alex, great to have you in our podcast today. Well, thank you. I'm doing welcome. Great. Hey, I often hear you say uh, that customer discovery is one of the most important topics that we teach at eWar. And I think that might be a term that not everyone who's listening to this today knows what it means. Can you explain a little bit about what customer discovery is? Well, a little bit in customer discovery is, is maybe, well, it should be self-explanatory customer discovery, right? It's only a little bit short. So what we mean by that is uh, really who are your customers? Who, who are not your customers now because you're in the process of developing something, but it's really like who will be your customers and how can you learn from the group of people already now that might be your future customers? And when you talk about your customers, it's really not only the one person or the one group that actually buys your product, but no, many more people. Uh, rather think about them as stakeholders, which is really the customers, of course, who might purchase your service, your product, whatever you come up with, but also the users, which might be different, or possible influencers on that journey, on that decision, which could be decision makers, for example, or influencers on decision makers, or maybe people that actually have a say or play a role in the overall picture of how your product actually reaches the person that will finally use it. And that's really about who are your customers. And then the discovery part, okay, first of all, you want to know who are those and how can I learn from them, but also where are they, for example, you know, and how can you reach them? That's the other side of it. So because the customer is, is finally the person that might use your offering, buy your offering, but somehow you also have to get to them. You have to understand where they are, you know, how they act, how they behave. Ultimately, we want to find out what are their needs, what are their hopes, wishes, fears, what are their desires, what are their motivations really on using a product like the one that you might come up with. And all of that that might lie in the future that you're designing for, you can already find right now in that customer discovery phase where you go out and try to understand all these aspects. It's really about how do people interact with their environment right now and how can you learn from that? Because how somebody you know, solves their problems right now, addresses their needs right now, interacts with their environment, with the world right now, is something that you can learn from in order to think about your solution that you might have in your head in a way that they would then quickly adopt it. So what you do is actually you do, of course, quantitative research, which is straightforward, right? You do like market research or quantitative research uh, where you go online, try to figure out, okay, maybe what is out there right now and who might be my customer group and how are they behaving right now. But then you mix that with qualitative research and that's really the customer discovery part, but most people understand about it, but it's both. On the one side, you want to find out, okay, what's my, what's my landscape? But then you also want to find out, so who are the people in that landscape? By doing qualitative research, 
which is more deep. Quantitative might be more broad, qualitative might be more deep or is more deep, where you really spend time with them, where you actually go out, you get inspired, you get informed by how they, these people interact with their world currently in order to extrapolate that into the future, where your product might be out in the market and see how do you design that uh, in, in between. Ultimately, it's really about, you want to understand current behavior, because that's what I always say. And I think it's not often said enough, <laughs> or it's not said enough. It's really, uh, whatever you do, whatever you create as an offering, whatever you create as a service, as a product, as maybe even a strategy or a communication piece, uh, ultimately your goal is to influence decision-making because you want your customer, your user, to decide for your offering and not for the competition. And there will always be competition out there. Everything that you can see out there with people, they can somehow you know, find a solution for that already. I mean, there are so many things out there. But if you create something that might be unique, still you want them to decide for your offering. And the best way to really influence decision-making is to understand behavior. And that's what we do in the customer discovery. We really try to understand behaviors of people right now in order to learn from that, to get inspired by that, to get informed by that, to then design something that they actually want, that they need, that they desire, and that they quickly adopt, which is really critical. Got it. So it sounds like a process that helps you create a product that people actually want. Absolutely. Not that, just something that you dream yeah. up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and very often it says a product that people actually need. Yes, of course. But even more important that they actually want, because that's the, <laughs> the, the delta where they make the decision to actually buy something, to go out there and say like, no, I need something new or I need something different or I really want this one and not that one. So they make a clear choice, a clear decision. And that's why you're right, what people want. And it, it sounds like a very, well, simple, well, it might not be a simple step, but it sounds like a, like a no-brainer to do this. And still we see, I think the statistics are like four in 10 startups fail because they've created a product that no one actually wants. How is that possible? I think it's, I mean, I've, I've been a founder myself, so I had ideas myself and, and me and my teams, we created these ideas. And, uh, but also through my years and years of consulting with companies and how companies operate as well, it's very often to see that they, they, they just fall in love with their solution. Um, they, they design products because that's their job. You know, you have product development departments, you have engineers, you have scientists who work in a field where they just, they are there in the laboratory, you know, they go to work and kind of leave their own self behind and leave them at the door, at the gate of the factory or the, or the office. And then they're in the laboratory and in the laboratory, their job is to come up with something. And uh, they create for a long time and then they have a solution and they really fall in love with their solution. So, and the, and the basis for that solution is that they only solve their own problem. Uh, and, and, and that's really kind of like, they're too deep into that problem. So that they, they work so much on a solution that the solution is on a level that most people actually don't even have. So the solution might be far too far into the future. I mean, you can imagine, for example, I don't know, take the financial world, the banking you know, system or the banking industry. Um, people that work in the banking industry work on finances 24-7 almost. Well, at least five days a week, four, eight hours. We, as users of the financial system, we think about finance, what? Well, quite often, maybe three, four times a day, but for a minute or sometimes for five minutes. And sometimes every two weeks we spend an hour on it, but that's it. The banking world thinks about that, as I said, 40 hours a week. So it's very different. There's on a, such a deep level where they are... Dis, you know, disconnected to the real world and to the real needs. And that's why I think many founders actually still fail because 
they develop themselves on a level into a level where where they are where they're disconnected from the real world and they base too much on their own assumptions i mean having assumptions is good because that's where you start off with. if you have assumptions about you know, what am i creating and uh, i think it's a really good solution because i might have had that problem or i saw that problem or that need in my you know direct vicinity with, with my family with my friends but that's it and then you create something well you know the assumptions are still too weak it's good to have them but it's better to verify them and that's why we come back to the customer discovery we just talked about earlier because you're not designing for yourself you're designing for people that are not yourself or that are outside of your circles that's why you also have to understand them uh, and don't stay in your own bubble you know it's also another factor i think is interesting is even if founders or even engineers that work in big companies or so, if they go out and do customer discovery, lots of them are actually very scared about critics. So they don't, they, they, they still kind of stay in their bubble because they talk to the people they, with, uh, whom they believe they will give me good feedback, positive feedback. And they're scared to talk to the ones that actually critique them and say, no, I don't like this. And I think that's stupid. It's not a good idea. Or there's something better out there. And if you're scared about that, you will stay in your bubble. And again, your product will fail. Critics can be actually a very, very useful, valuable source of information of how to design your product that can maybe even convince them or address the points that not only critics might have, but also the broader mass might have. So that's the other aspect, you know, either they are just working in their own bubble or they're too scared to talk to the people that actually might think that their idea is not good enough. That, that sounds like an uh, an that the ego sometimes get in the way, that you don't want to listen to critical feedback, you just want to hear people confirming your suspicions. Is that something you see in, in founders, that, that their ego gets in the way of them really understanding their own customer? Yes, I see that. And uh, it's kind of also understandable, right? You want to be in love with your own thing. Of course, you should be, and that's also always ex asked from investors, if you're not absolutely excited and in love with your own solution, how could I be, right? But that's maybe at a later stage. So you kind of have to be both sides or you have to be both persons. On the one side, you have to be your biggest critique, but the, on the other side, you have to be the biggest fan of your own <laughs> creation. And I think that's that's not very easy. And that's why not everybody is a founder, you know? Um, so th there are people out there who really have the... I don't know, they, 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 are, they are designed to be a founder because they can manage that. They can actually play play both sides. They know that... I'm, I'm onto something. I have something here that's very exciting, but I can't take it for granted. I actually have to always talk to people and see how they, you know, see my own solution and make it their solution in order to be successful. If I want to be successful, it can't only be for me. Yeah. And it, it does indeed sound a little bit like a, like a contradiction, because on the one hand, you have the Peter Thiels of this world that talk about, I need, you need to believe something. What is it that you believe that no one else believes? And then you have to ask people for their opinion. But if everyone believes the same thing, it's no mm. longer just you believing it. How do you marry those two kind of contradicting pieces of advice? It's not easy, but of course there are a few things that, I mean, I think, I believe, you know, you have to remind yourself where the solution is coming from and maybe even think about like uh, the process of re-engineering. Because too often I see that founders come up with something and they don't really know where it came from, where the solution or the idea came from, and then they just run with it. And of course they go very deep. And it's great, you know, but that's only the side where you fall in love with your own creation. Uh, but at that moment where the idea is coming up, and maybe even, you know, for quite some time, you should always think or remind yourself, okay, where, where is that actually coming from? Why did I have that idea? What was the situation, the basis, or maybe the process or the time frame 
where that idea is actually coming from and how did I come up with it? Why did I come up with this? What were the reasons? What was the problem that I actually addressed in the first place? Maybe it was something from, for myself. It was something that I saw in my direct environment. And if you understand that, if you remind yourself about that, start there with the research. Okay, when it came from there, let's try to find out more about that. And I always say fall in love with your problem, not the solution. <laughs> because if you remind yourself, and of course you can develop your solution, great, and you think it's a great solution, but also remind yourself or remember the situation where you came from, fall in love with that situation and try to learn more about that as well. Try to learn more about the problem because that will also help you to continue to be open and actually think about that problem, not only in your context, but in the context of other people. How they see that problem, maybe for them it's not a problem, right? They're like, why, why are you even talking about that? Because you know, I have it solved already or it never appears to me. So if you do that, you are much more realistic with everything that you're creating. So use your research to learn more about the customer rather than your solution. That's the other thing. Um, many you know, creators, founders, people that develop products, they actually, when they do research, they only ask about their solution, but never about the people that actually might have a problem and their needs. So they're too close to what they're creating and not so much about the people that will use it and why they're actually using it. So if you, if you try to you know, remind yourself, go back there and learn more about the problem, which also is a very good basis to be a founder, because if you create a solution once, great, then you have a solution. Well, what do you do next? If you want to build a company, you have to do more. Only one product will never you know, make you a big good founder to actually sustain a company that will live over a long period of time. But if you fall in love with the problem, you will see, okay, we addressed that problem once with one product, with one offering, with one service maybe. But there's more to that problem and the problem is also changing. People adopt and their needs are changing. So through time, everything is constantly changing and it's very dynamic. So if you fall in love with the problem, you can always come up with new things. Your first solution, your second solution, maybe something in the vicinity. Maybe you have a product in the first place, but then you create a service around that or vice versa. So if you really understand the problems and the needs at the beginning, fall in love with that, be excited about your first solution, but then open up to creating even more because you're really good about understanding and you're the expert of the problem, not the expert of the solution. That will help you to be more successful in the future, I believe. I really like that. Be the expert of your problem, not of the solution. So we want to discover this problem basically with customer discovery. And I think we often talk about interviews when we talk about doing customer discovery. But I, th I think when I hear you talk in our, our sessions, it's often about observations or even immersing yourself in that problem. Can you share some examples of maybe one good example where you did a customer discovery, but not through an interview, but really through observations and, and what you've learned from that, what you could never have learned from an interview? It, it was actually not me myself, but I, I was part of that because it was, it was a project for a client of ours. I have a few examples, but that pops to mind instantly when you say, Carly, immersion, because that's always my nice immersion example. It was uh, with a company in the, in the health field and they were doing medical devices, so actually hardware products, right? Uh, and they picked out an area where they wanted to improve or they wanted to actually come up with something which they believe could be very exciting, a future you know, market opportunity, which um, is in the context of public medical emergencies. So what if actually a medical emergency happened in the public space, not within an office, within a house or so, no, in a public space. And they actually wanted to you know, create something for that. 
Now, how do you learn about that situation? Of course, you know, you can ask people or you can, you can read something, you know, the expert reviews or whatever is already out there. But uh, we told them, okay, you know, in order to really also come up with the right questions, if we do interviews later, or if we want to ask experts, the best way is to immerse yourself first, experience it yourself. Because if we ask into the group of the people that were actually developing that, so who of you ever had an emergency in a public space, right? In a public space. And they're like, um, well, they thought hard, but hardly, hardly anybody, none of them really. So we said, okay, try, try it out. Now, there, there are several tools. And one of the tools is through immersion, like put yourselves in through the shoes of users by enacting a scenario. So what we said is, think about a possible scenario. And the scenario they came up with was the local train station, public space, lots of people, lots of things happening. Also, interesting, there's lots of technology already in place. It's a train station, so there are cameras, and you know, there's, there's different stakeholders, not only people that use the train, but also workers, whatever. And we said like, Pick the train station, go out there because you're four people, that's your team, and one of you has to have a heart attack. And they're medical people, so they know how you know what happens when you have a heart attack. So they were actually, one of them had to fake a heart attack, and the other ones was, were observing the situation, and one of them was actually even participating, of how the public would react to that situation. And it was so powerful what they learned in that situation. They said like they never had that before. So they were more inspired and informed by that situation than anything they could have read or they could have talked to uh, an expert, for example. And through that immersion, through that experience, they actually got much better in asking questions to experts or asking other users or other participants. And actually they used the moment uh, at the train station to talk to other people. So it was very interesting to see in that moment, um, in that situation, that it, actually the, 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 the public, so the, the people that used the train, were not first-line responders. The first-line responders were the ones that were really trained workers, you know, train staff, as well as train station staff. They were the first ones who were there, who knew what to do, and the process was ideal. It was like, wow, perfect, how they did it. And the public was just shocked. You know, the people that were guests in the train, they were just shocked and stood by and stood away. So it's really interesting how you have to leverage actually people that are trained, but that are close by. And that was one of the learnings that they got. They never heard, they never had that before. So you can do a lot through immersion. Immersion actually experience something yourself is quite powerful. It's a really cool example, especially I can imagine if you would ask people how they would respond if someone on the train had a, had a heart attack, their answer would be very different from what they really do. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's also what you want to find out in this. In, in parts of the customer discovery, because many people say one thing, but they actually act very different when it comes to the situation happening. So the, the, the logical you know, response is very often very different to the emotional response, because you know, when stress kicks in or any kind of emotion kicks in, you, you could say like, okay, the train station is very extreme and the heart attack in the train station. But if you make a purchasing decision, I don't know, in a drugstore where you have to buy a shampoo for your girlfriend or for your wife, and you never did that before, what is that like? You know, it's maybe not that much stress, but still you have to make a decision. And you can do immersion there as well. I always, you know, not always, but sometimes I go in actually, and I go in front of that shelf with 500 shampoos. Oh my God, they all look the same to me. So what do I do? Immersion is, I actually approach another female customer and say like, sorry, but can I ask you something? My wife actually needs a shampoo. I don't know what she's using. Maybe you can help me. 
That's also kind of an immersion because you ask somebody on your level. You don't ask a shop assistant because they want to sell, of course. You ask somebody and they're very happy to give you advice. You learn so much about them, about kind of like, you know, all the products and also why they're different, which you never thought about before. So it could be from very extreme to very normal, but that process of observation and immersion actually helps you to be much better in whatever is following afterwards. I also like the idea of the shopper example you're using. You're kind of interviewing that person then, but they don't know they're being interviewed. They're just uh, having a conversation with another shopper. Absolutely. And that's also the the, uh, the nice part about it. Or again, you know, the valuable part about it. Don't do interviews in question answers. Don't do an interview like on TV, you know, when you have a reporter asking somebody and drilling down. No, try to have a conversation. Because in a conversation, there's a much better trust relationship and it's a give and take. I ask something, they answer, they, you know, I ask a few more things, but I also tell something about myself. And through that conversation, I build a rapport with that person and they tell me much more about them because it's just natural. I tell them something about me. Why not? You know, it's a give and take. And through that give and take, you learn much more about the people than just asking them and saying, okay, thanks for the answer. Here's my next question. But with the, with the immersion and the, and, the, and the observation, like especially with immersion, do it consciously because it's quite interesting all of us have most and many of these situations anyway, only that we go through them almost passively, right? It's, it's automatic. Uh, we go to work every day, we use the train every day, we go shopping every day, we do all this stuff because we always did it. If you do a project, if you actually create something, if you develop something, if you want to design a product, do the same thing that you always did, but switch to be very conscious about what you're doing and what the environment is doing, like what the other people are doing. Or why are the products here? Or why are they positioned that way? Or why do they look like this? You can ask yourself so many things by doing something consciously and learn so much more than just doing it automatically. That's super interesting. It's just looking at your environment with different eyes gives you ideas. Would you say that's one of the things that sets entrepreneurs apart from people that are not entrepreneurs? Yes. It's maybe not only the entrepreneur, it's really if somebody is passionate about what they're doing and very into it, I think they, they, they have the ability to see the world through these glasses. I think artists are, are the same way. If artists have an idea in their head and they work on something, they see the world through these glasses of that idea and that's how they collect more and more inspiration. And that's the same for an entrepreneur. If an entrepreneur actually has an idea and they want to follow something, they see the world through these glasses and then everything is a clue. Everything is a piece of information. Everything can be an inspiration because you see the world in the context of your product. Only, coming back to where we started in our little you know, conversation here, don't be too much about your solution. Always stick to the problem because that helps you more. Because if you see the world only through the glasses of your product, then you, know, you, you, you force it into a direction. Because you force the world into like, I want the world to be because my product fits perfectly in that world. No, try to stay realistic. You know, the world is that way. How can I fit my product into that world? That way you have to see the, uh, your environment. It reminds me a little bit of a detective. Some detectives, if you watch a movie, they have like the suspect in mind and fit all the evidence to that person. And some do it the other way around. They look at the evidence and then find out who, who could be a suspect. That's, that's a very good example. I should use that actually in the future because it's absolutely right. The good ones and the bad ones, you know, ones that just, yeah. you know, find uh, the easy way out is, I know who it is and now I make everything work that that person actually is it. <laughs> yeah. But that's the, that's the easy way out. They don't really want to work in their job. And the other ones actually keep it open and say like, no, 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 no. I have to really find yeah. out what happened. 
So I think we've, we've learned a lot so far about why customer discovery is important and how to do it. But I can imagine our listeners might be asking, how many of these immersions and interviews do, do I need to do? Like, when is it enough? When do I know enough of my problem to start the next step? Is there an answer to it? Yeah, that, that's a very tricky answer that I have to give uh, because there's, there's, it's, a, it's a creative process. So not like in other processes, which are very logical, where you can say like you do that many and then you know that you have enough and I can give you a number. It's because it's dependent on every project and also on every person that actually runs through these projects or every entrepreneur. So, um, but that's another important factor for being an entrepreneur that you have develop a feeling to, for yourself, towards yourself. Uh, and you, you do these things, you do an immersion, you do interviews and while you're doing them, of course, you collect everything. You listen to everything. You see everything. Of course, hopefully, you write it all down. You actually, you know, um, draw a nice big map about all the information, all the inspiration that you collected in order to work with it as well. But ultimately, you yourself will know when stuff is repeating. Because you're like, okay, you know, uh, I hear the same, the same things again and again. So apparently, I have enough because... It's, it's back to the 80-20 rule. You, know, you get a feeling for, okay, it's repeating. So apparently I'm onto something because I can't get so much more new stuff. Of course, you can then you know, squeeze out every little bit and do your research forever. But again, you're not an entrepreneur because you're not creating. I think you, over time, create a feeling for like when it's enough and also about your own confidence where you say, like, I, have, I have enough information that I can go to the next step. I don't feel insecure anymore. I understand my users. I understand the stakeholders, the different influencers. I have a good picture about all of that. It's not perfect. I know that. But, you know, being a manager is actually working with an incomplete set of information. And you're a manager if you're a founder. So you have to manage the information in a way that you say, like, okay, it's good enough. I can move to the next step. And I can kind of, like, start my ideation now. Or I can, you know, now create my product again and do another iteration and maybe do testing with the product, not without the product. So it's really about generating your own feeling to what you are designing and your own feeling to, okay, when is it good enough? And when can I move it to the next step? And also keeping it open because through the next step, you might learn, ah, it was not good enough, so I have to go back. So not that you say like, oh, I can't go back, you know, I'm so far. No, no, you're, you're never too far. You can always go back and do some more research. You can always talk to people again. You can do more customer discovery. You can do customer discovery in the beginning without any solution. When you have your solution and created it and actually can show it to people and test it, it's another form of customer discovery because you learn more about the people as well. So you can go back there. Iterative process. Iterative and creative process. Absolutely. That's what it sounds like. Great. I think that brings us almost to the end of this podcast. So I wanted to close with one last question. And that is, if there is one thing you hope our listeners would take away from this interview, what would that be? Well, I think it's what you <laughs> repeated as well. What I said, kind of fall in love with your problem rather than your solution. So be more in love with the problem than your solution. I think that's, that's the one thing that I would always stress and also what I want our listeners to take away. It's also never underestimating the value of, of of information and inspiration that you can get by engaging with users. And um, we did projects, you know, in my 22 years when I was a consultant, and sometimes we did a project, I don't know, in the in the in the telecommunications industry for one big name, and then you know, six months later, the other big name in that same market came to us with exactly the same project. And we're like, oh my god, we know everything about this. We just did it, right? Why would we even do research again? So you believe you're the expert, 
But then if you force yourself to go and talk to users again, you will learn something new. Because the solutions are always very static. People and their needs and their desires and their problems, they are not static at all. The environment is constantly changing. You know, we are moving into the future day by day. There's so many influences. Everything is changing because we are using stuff in a different context. There's something new again. You know, now I have a phone. Okay, in two years' time, I have a virtual reality headset and a phone. So the phone is not only a phone anymore. It becomes more. And of course, my needs are changing through that as well. So everything is constantly changing and you have to stay in touch with that. Be out there, even if you have a solution already. Be always very close to your users and customers and understand their ever-changing needs and problems in the context that they're in. I think that will enrich you to be really an entrepreneur for the future and not only for the moment. A future-ready entrepreneur. I like that. Yes, future-proofing yourself. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole different discussion, I guess. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Great. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I've learned a lot and I hope our listeners did as well. My pleasure. Thank you. This was Leon Burma interviewing Alex Grotz about customer discovery. I hope you learned as much as I did today. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again in episode 12. Thanks for listening.